0: Welcome back to the Unregulated Podcast. This is episode number 22 here on February 4th,
1: 2020.
0: 22. Puck's a Phil, saw his shadow, six more weeks of winter. Thankfully, Bill De Blasio didn't kill him this time.
1: Wilhelm Wilhelm De Blasio,
2: <laughs>
0: you guys remember that one? <laughs> yeah, man. How could you forget? We'll, we'll have to find the the video for that. Uh, it's it's a terrifying video. He dropped video. him, sent him to ICU. He died like three days later. Well, just Wilhelm's like everything kinda, else, he touched. I was gonna say <laughs>
1: Wilhelm's kind of he's got the reverse Midas touch.
0: All right, well, there's a lot uh, a lot going on again. Who uh, are you, Tom? What are, are you, Tom Pyle? Where should we start? What What would you like to start with today, Mr. McKenna? Uh, I would
1: like to start with the topic of the day, which is the Democrats are planning to have a vote on the House floor today to strip committee assignments from uh, Marjorie Taylor Green, who is a Republican congresswoman.
0: Who was elected by- um,
1: The good people of the uh, Georgia 5th District, I yeah, um, yeah.
0: and And-, and... Based on comments she made long before,
1: prior to her being in Congress, she um, was a congresswoman. Yeah, um, to represent the people of it, the f- district. Yeah, forget all of that stuff. Right, I don't care what comments she made. Uh, what concerns me is, um, this is the only time in in my memory, which goes back a ways, that I can think of a moment where the majority stripped the minority member of his or her committee assignments. Usually, that stuff's done in house. Um, it is the worst thing i've ever seen in the house of representatives and
0: there's a there's been a long line of worst things you have seen recently i, 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 I and many of which defy yeah, precedent th-
1: th- this feeds a couple of really bad um thematics that are going on anyway um right what's going to happen is 10 years from now we're going to come back and look at this moment and it's going to be seminal because eventually everyone you know if you're going to wind up in an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth situation and eventually everyone's going to wind up blind and toothless. As soon as the Republicans get the majority, they're going to identify three or four Democrats they don't like and then back and forth and back and forth. And it's going to have two effects. One is um, all your smart guys are going to avoid Congress, right, um, because who's who wants to live in this kind of world? Um, and then – the Second thing is it's going to mean that leadership is going to get even more powerful as less and less meaningful work gets done in committees and that's a, you know that's a that's a a horse we have been beating for a while i i can't believe steny hoyers the instigator of this right he he knows better this has to be um, from speaker pelosi she's the only one inconsiderate enough um you know to think that this is a good idea
0: there's a lot to there's a lot going on here. First of all, uh the Republicans in typical fashion are fumbling around on this. Um it took them until
1: last uh, night. They finally middle got to love the night last night. They finally got right in ahead, but it, it took them a while. Yeah. Uh
0: you had a Republican senator going down to the house floor to chime in on this. Uh McConnell Trashed her basically. Yeah, which, uh, well, I, really, really is bothersome. Yeah, to it, me.
1: Yeah, me too. I, like, it, it was it was
0: um, ill timed. It was ill timed. Well, it's just McConnell made so much ground with conservatives and free market types, uh, with as you have talked about in the past, his mastery of sort of you know command over his members and sort of sticking to his guns and focusing on things that mattered to all members of the Republican Party and. You know now he's sort of we're back on the, on the what is the point of all of this, yeah, when both of our leaders yeah could care less about what our what we think about these kind of things, yeah, now, I'm not defending her comments, I don't even really know all everything she said. I'm sure the media exaggerated a lot of it, but you have a person who was elected to the to the congress yeah, who have has not said anything yeah incendiary or otherwise as since she has been sworn in. You have the opposite party coming in and, like you said, dictating uh, the terms of a Republican member of Congress. The statements, the things that Maxine Waters said since she's been elected Congress, that AOC, that the other members of the squad have said is equally disqualified, in my view.
1: See, I have a different... And worse so because they've said it since they've been elected. See, I have a different theory of the case, and it's this. Um, you either... You either believe in elections or you don't. There are lots of people in Congress who are sitting there that I would not myself choose. Um, that I believe are, are probably not healthy for the republic. Um, but you know what? Voters somewhere chose them, and you know we're we're, we're it, is, it is the flip side of the coin we've been talking about for three months. Voters speak, and you you have to accept it. It's it's um or you have to give up this current. Arrangement of government and just you know switch over to a monarchy or something else. Um, well, I- I'm perfectly comfortable letting Maxine Waters sit there. Doesn't bother me at all. Um, but I'll tell you this much: if this thing happens um, today, uh, folks like. Congresswoman Waters, Congresswoman ocasio Cortez, those folks are all going to be on the firing line. the next time Republicans get um, the majority, and that's really bad.
0: Maybe or maybe not. Honestly, I don't think the Democrats, other Republicans, do this. Uh, I they don't do this. I, I
1: guarantee you, they already filed. They already filed a motion to do the same thing to uh, the lady from Minnesota, the Congresswoman uh, Omar. Omar, thank
0: we'll, you. We'll see. We'll see. It, it, there, it, there, it, there are, In my experience. Republicans have been paper tigers yeah 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 with a lot of well and
1: and to and to come to circle back to your other point right um uh majority a minority leader McCarthy is really good at raising money, right he's not really great at at doing this kind of thing, he's just not um <laughs>
0: It's, I'm not going to comment. Yeah, so I mean, and that's fine. Leave it at that.
1: That's fine. I mean, it's perfectly acceptable. I'm trying to
0: focus on the positives of this yeah. shit.
1: Everybody's good at something, right? Um, and that's what he's good at, right? This is not what he's good at. Senator McConnell is perhaps the single greatest party leader in this, you know, in the last hundred years in the Senate, right? Wow. Um, well, let me sharpen that. Right? He knows where his caucus is and knows where it should be and guides them gently there. But this idea that he's going to be the leader of the Republican Party, which is where the comments on Congresswoman Taylor Green came from, right? That's nonsense, right? That's not what he's good at. I mean, yeah. I, I I hold him in incredibly high respect as a legislator and a and a Senate leader, um, but I don't want him to be my RNC chairman. I don't want him to be president. I don't. Uh, nobody nobody elected him to do that. Um, nobody voted for him. Nobody appointed him. Um, you know, silence is always a good option. Yeah. I um, mean, you know, if you're not sure what to say, shutting up's a good option.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're just in a in a whole new territory here in terms of uh, these members are always accountable to voters, but lately I feel like the Democrats don't really care about that very much, whether it's, damn the torpedoes, I'm advancing my agenda, I've got 18 months before the midterms, we'll deal with the slaughter, or they just, they're not really overly concerned. I mean, they've got a media that is now like a mouthpiece for them. Uh, even to this morning, the headline on the budget deal, which uh, for our hundred listeners, the House and the, the Senate are prepared to uh, basically go alone, pass a one point nine trillion dollar COVID relief bill. On top of the fact that we've already passed in the neighborhood of three to four. Trillion dollars, no, closer
1: really. to six, right? And we still have a trillion unspent in that six, the, right?
0: That's what I, yes, yeah, I yeah. was getting to. Is there? They have money that has not been spent yet, yeah. and yet this is a crisis that needs to happen yesterday. This is this harkens me back to um, the shovel ready huh. uh, of the Obama stimulus, right? Uh, this is not, uh, a, this is not uh, a crisis. This is not a response to a crisis. This is a down payment on on democratic priorities and the ability to have tons and tons of walk around money, federal taxpayer walk around money for their various constituencies, including blue States, including yeah. uh, communities in their districts and everything else. And the media is just playing along. Uh, yeah. the, the headline I saw in Politico was Democrats fast track COVID relief for Americans, right? The same headline could have been Democrats abuse the reconciliation process and a evo- and bypass uh, you know the legislative filibuster by jamming this crap in reconciliation and going alone. Uh, you
1: know, I'm, am um, it is what it is, right? Elections have consequences, and I'm perfectly comfortable with that. Um, I will say one thing about the reconciliation approach. Yesterday at around noon, um, Senator Manchin, all my friends out there who think that Senator Manchin is somehow going to rescue the republic. Um, Senator Manchin said very quietly, but, you know, to a clutch of reporters and was reported that he was okay with $1.9 trillion number, right? It wasn't his preference, but he was okay with it. And he voted, by the way, just for those of you keeping score on this stuff like me, um, yes on the budget resolution that enabled reconciliation to go forward. He voted yes on the budget resolution. Now, is he ultimately going to um, take some testosterone shots and and think about something different as we move through the process, maybe um but I doubt it, and anybody who wants to get some money down on it now, you know, hit Tom up, you know his email address and he will um take the bets and um I'll even give you odds if it makes you feel any better
0: uh it's not happening, ladies and gentlemen, it is not happening. Senator Manchin has never disappointed his leadership ever.
1: It, 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 like, as I said about Joe Lieberman, right, he, he's always wrestling with his conscience. Somehow his conscience always loses. Yep. But meanwhile, seriously, if you want to give me your money in a bet, um, I'll take it.
0: Anyway, uh, in addition to this notion that the Democrats are so appalled by a Republican member of Congress who was elected by the voters... That they're willing to strip her of her committees to send a, send a message. They have also um, announced that they're going to leave the wall up around the Capitol. So they don't like walls at the border.
1: They don't work. Walls don't
0: work. Walls don't work at the border. But they sure do work to keep people away from having to interact with them on a daily basis. Walls
1: don't work. Defund the police. Defund the Capitol police. Wait a minute. Are, are we allowed to defund the Capitol police? Is that – hold on for a second sorry i had a I had a moment where my progressive wires got crossed in my own head, so walls don't work and defund the police unless you happen to um work in these six acres six sixteen i guess it's sixteen acres of the capitol complex. don't forget the concertina on top of the on top of the external walls. there's concertina there like somehow someone's gonna try to climb them and i don't yes. know, i don't it's Gordon liddy used to say this about prison guards right he never Keep in mind, Gordon was a convict who spent time, right? Um, Gordon Liddy used to say this about prison guards. He said, he said, only only the dumbest of the dumb people would volunteer to be prison guards because you're essentially putting yourself in jail for your whole life, right? You know, anybody who's spent any time on the hill in the last 10, 15, 20 days, it's jail.
0: Yeah, well, they also— But it almost looks like they're trying to—it almost looks like it's keeping them in instead of you out. Yeah, of course. And they also uh, made some— ridiculous uh made made good on their threat to fine members of congress for going through the magne- magnet magnetometers to get to the house magnetometers
1: right? yeah 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 because yeah. you know th- there's there's apparently widespread fear that some member is gonna um i don't know spray the room with machine gun fire which <laughs> i i suppose is possible um i would point out that it hasn't i don't think a gun's been brought onto the floor and like 150 years, but I I could be wrong. It it seems like we're solving a problem that doesn't actually exist.
0: Yeah, and then lastly, uh, as you mentioned, uh, what is the buzz right now on the street uh, about Ron Klain? (laughs) (laughs) As if we're not living it, we're no longer living in a democracy, right? Yeah,
1: Prime Minister Klain uh, Klain is what everyone's (laughs) starting to call him, right? Which is which is classic, um, and it. Uh, perfectly describes what's going on, and and then there was a story, and I want to get it. I want to get it before we go to our special guest star. There was a story in Politico, um, yesterday, and, and I'm not going to read it to you because it's too depressing. Um, but it lists off all the places that President Biden goes and has been where he's popped <laughs> yeah. in and seen staff. They include Sweet. they include the military office in the East Wing. All right, for those of you who are a little shaky on the geography, <laughs> military office in the East Wing is. Maybe 40 steps from the stairway leading down from the personal residence. So instead of taking a right and going to the Oval, 40 steps, he took a left one morning and went to the military <laughs> office. And let's assume that was intentional. It, it also included visits to the press office, which is out the Oval office door and down a 15-foot hallway. Yeah, and you're in the press office
0: before you get to the next. <laughs> before you get to the next place, that he sprinted. Um, the, You know, uh, the the media is hailing about this, you know, reinstating the daily press briefing. And, yeah, man. And Jen Sakai so far has been wildly underwhelming. Been, I, you <laughs> right. know, the only thing that – uh, That's a good question. Let me go ahead and get back to you on that. I'm going to take that note down and the, I'm going
1: go to about about the, the, the only thing that bothers me about the press briefing, which I, I have to be honest with that. I totally dig, right? A good friend of mine, a good friend of mine used to do this right Ari Fleischer and, and you know, you ask him about it. He's like, "It's the most ridiculous hour of your life because you just these people ask the same questions in four different ways." The only thing that bothers me about Jen doing it is she's ruined the phrase I'll circle back with you.
0: Oh my god. <laughs> you can't you can't you you,
1: you, you can't say it now cuz you're just like, "Uh okay, you know, everybody laughs," which so it it but Anyway, in the other place, the other place Biden went, he went to see his cabinet secretary, um, who uh, is the wife of um, Secretary of State Tony Blinken. Now, I yeah. don't know where she's set up in the West Wing. Furthest away she could be is a cross-West exec in the old executive office building. He may have had to walk like 50 <laughs> yards to <laughs> see her.
0: <laughs> the, the, the article made it sound like he's like Joe Biden's making the rounds, he's doing his things, getting in there, getting it done. He's literally made like 50 <laughs> he's, steps he's, to each of his. <laughs> Visits I mean, in between you know, his rests. I, I I
1: don't mean to I don't mean to minimize <laughs> I don't mean to minimize um, you know, the, the the energy of our new executive, but I read that story and I'm just like that okay. It, you know, that that if that's all you can say, <laughs> I like, you gotta be kidding me. So so far, here's what we got. He got some bagels after mass over at Holy Trinity, right? He went about three blocks over got some bagels to call your mother. Um he went up to Walter Reed.
0: Which yeah, you know, in Marine One it was a long trip, right? It was a
1: long trip. It's you know, it did, it, 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 you had to walk to the helipad, take you 15 minutes to drive, take you maybe 25 to run if you were going from White House to Walter Reed, anyway. And now he's made the trip all the way perhaps across West Exact <laughs> Avenue. It, it's it's uh, energy,
0: anyway. Enough of that, high energy. High energy and and we all laughed at Sleepy Joe. I thought Sloppy Joe would have been better. But... You
1: know, actually, real quick. I know. I know we're trying to get to yeah. um, to to our special our special guest star. Um, it 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 the campaign has simply been grafted onto the White House. Oh, right. Absolutely. They 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 do one event. They do one event a day. They minimize press exposure. Right. He was in. Um, presses get press typically gets hustled into the Oval for about forty seconds before the event. Right. Um, they don't really have time for questions. He hasn't answered any questions. Um, and that's it. That's it. Yeah. In one event a day, and that is it. And the funny thing is somebody asked me, a press person asked me the other day. I said, when's he going to do a press conference?
0: Good luck with that.
1: And I said, you know what? It's like the campaign. It's, I got asked this in the campaign. And I said, truthfully, any operative who authorized him to do a press conference would get fired and should get fired. It should never work again. <laughs> yes. So anyway –
0: We here, our special guest has joined us uh, here on the Unregulated Podcast. I'd like to welcome Kathleen Sagama with the Western Energy Alliance, although we work closely together with the American Energy Alliance, which is yours truly. uh, We are not affiliated directly, uh, although we share the same aspirations and goals, which is to unleash our... American energy producers to allow them to continue to provide the low-cost, affordable, and reliable energy that we depend on for our budgets, for our businesses, and for American security. So I'd like to turn it over to Kathleen. No no
1: pressure, Kathleen. Tell us
0: a little bit about Western Energy Alliance, and then let's get into it.
2: Well, great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, gentlemen. Uh, So Western Energy Alliance, represents oil and natural gas producers and all associated companies who operate in the Rocky Mountain West. So we, uh, we're we based in Denver, but we focus on federal issues and we're kind of the tip of the spear when it comes to public lands issues because out in the West, it is almost impossible to develop oil and natural gas without touching some federal lands or minerals.
0: Well, thank you for that brief intro and a nice segue, because as we know, our our new administration has just unleashed a fury of executive orders, a a, a torrent, if you will, fifty, thirty something, a wall, a wall of executive orders, <laughs> a wall, orders.
1: forty, closer to forty,
0: and uh, one of them uh, dealt with federal lands, um, and we've talked about this very briefly. The, the, the set, it is the roadmap to ultimately trying to ban federal uh, production For, of oil and gas on federal lands of any kind. And Kathleen, I know that and you, waters. you really deliberated and took your time to, to determine what course of action you would take <laughs> in response to that move. Uh, why don't you share with our, our audience uh, what your response was?
2: Well, I think our lawsuit was filed within the District Court for Wyoming within, I believe it was less than five minutes of the pen drying, the ink drying (laughs) on that executive order. Um, And the reason is, it became clear during the campaign, uh, it became clear especially after the second debate, that... President Biden, or then-candidate Biden, was going to go after federal lands and waters. Um, He knew that it was politically unpopular to, say, ban fracking nationwide, um, not least of which is because he doesn't have that authority at all, but most importantly to him because he wanted to win Pennsylvania. So his SOP to the environmental left, therefore, was to go after Federal lands. And I think the president doesn't perceive any political cost to banning development or leasing on federal lands. Um, he looks out at the Rocky Mountain West, it's mostly red states, and they're not you
1: mostly know. rednecks. Greg, right? not his people. <laughs> not his people. Well,
2: obviously, we're deplorables in the oil and natural gas. Right,
1: exactly. Country. Not his people. Sorry, Kevin, <laughs> I keep going.
2: <laughs> no worries. So I think he looked at it as a cost-free or a political cost-free approach to do something on oil and natural gas. Um, We have been working to make it, to deliver a political cost to him by making the job and economic impact apparent to all. But suffice it to say, that was a cost he was willing to make. He's willing to sacrifice Western livelihoods and Western development um, so he can give something to the left and say he's going after the oil and natural gas industry. So we knew this was coming. We've been preparing for it. We didn't know if it was going to be just a leasing ban or a leasing and permitting ban or some combination of the two, but we were ready for whatever scenario. And that's why we were able to file so quickly after the ink had barely dried.
0: Well, I'll that. And we actually uh, applauded you last week on the, uh, our, uh, our last episode of the podcast, because at the same time, we and Mr. McKenna here wrote a column about it. We're dismayed at the, at the way that some of the trade associations in Washington, DC were posturing themselves. Um, and these are folks who represent also oil and gas sort interests. Of, sort of. Were posturing themselves in such a way that they wanted to work with the administration to address these urgent needs and challenges and applauded him for getting the United States back into the Paris Agreement. And then when he signed the Keystone EO and he signed the federal lands ban, they were like, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute.
1: We, we thought you were I, kidding.
0: I thought we were going to get along here. I <laughs> we
1: thought th- this was unity. We, we, we thought this was the Clinton administration. We didn't, we, you guys are serious? Wait a minute.
2: Well, you know, we work with our sister trades, certainly, but you know, I've been around the block. I've been at Western Energy Alliance for 16 years and we've seen this show during the Obama administration, right? I mean, I just feel like this is all deja vu. Certainly, we are going to work with the administration where we can. We have no choice. Tr- I mean, we have to work with any administration and we will always do that to the best of our abilities. But that administration comes in so clearly dedicated to stopping oil and natural gas on federal lands, which is the lifeblood of the industry in the West, then we we don't have to try to appease that because that's a very clear statement. So we were ready to go from, well, not from on, we've been ready to go on this for months because we knew it was coming. So we're not gonna play the game when it comes to our lifeblood.
0: We will work with you when we can. It's such a simple, easy thing to say, and it makes sense. When we we will work with you where we can. Where we cannot, we will not work with you because we will not be a party to, uh, you know, uh, helping you dismantle our industry and our way of life. I mean, it's to me it seemed very straightforward. Wasn't quite how a lot of people. It was terrible. It It was
1: terrible. The correct answer is. Look, we're not going to let you turn homicide into assisted suicide. Sorry, I digress. Um,
0: Mike ahead. said this earlier, off the off before we started. Oh
1: no! I
0: want you to repeat it. What
1: right? is it? Well, well, this,
0: all these things. There's a star that emerges. Oh
1: yeah, I said in every in every one of these. Look, it, I don't want to call it a crisis again, but in every crisis, in every moment like this, right? And this is our third moment where we've had this. Unfortunate configuration, right? Nineteen ninety-three, two thousand nine, and now, um, I said, "There's a star that always emerges." Um, you know, there's always somebody who who everybody is is uh, back on their heels until somebody gets up and says, "You know, I think I'm not going to take this anymore." And I wanted, I wanted just, I put your name in early for the nomination for the star of this cycle. You know, the, everybody else was busy going, "What?" I didn't realize, I didn't know that they. These guys seem mean, and you were just like, "Hey, here's an idea: have a punch in the nose." <laughs> so it, it, so anyway, that's long story short. You're the, you're the, you're the current, you're the current front runner for star of this particular moment.
0: Yeah, and
1: that, why are you laughing? You know, we, we don't like
0: anybody. Well, and this, I mean, really, it's true because in, so for example, in when Obama first came in, and I just. I actually had just started IR about eight months earlier. So we were around during the campaign between McCain and Obama and all this stuff Obama was saying and everything. And we were like, this is not a joke. He's not being fundamentally transform America. He's not like hiding what he wants to do, guys. This is not going to happen. This is not going to go well. And everyone was like, wait, I didn't think he'd actually do all the things that he said he would do. And no one could try to no one was everyone was back in their heels like nobody knew what to do. And they were ramming this stimulus through that we're going to talk about as as the weeks and weeks go on here, because the similarities are, are uncanny. And green jobs it was like Senator Bond was uh, the sort of the re- Senate Republican policy guy, and he issued a report saying yellow light on green jobs. Right. Like we need to take a look at it and just make sure we need to,
1: we need to hit it with the Senate treatment.
0: <laughs> right. So it takes somebody, it takes people need to wake up because what's going on right now is in my view is these guys, as we talked about at the beginning of the show, they don't have an interest in being accountable to the voters right now. The actions that they're taking, the things that they're doing it convey that they could care less. They have an agenda. They have a, a short window to achieve it. And so we, you, land, Kathleen, right? me, others, we need to to sort of start driving this this message out there and get these Republicans or conservatives or people who believe in free markets to recognize what's going on and, and begin to mount an offensive. I don't know. What do you think?
2: Well, you know, I think there's an overreach period in any new administration. I think the close to, the closeness of this election. And how sharply divided the Senate is. I mean, it takes one senator getting sick and not showing up for work for a vote uh, to ruin their majority on any given issue. So it's it's razor thin. The ballot up and down, you know, down to state legislatures was clearly moderate, right? Um, so. There's an overreach with any administration and then reality sets in. It's harder to get things passed through Congress than they anticipated. They will get pushback from uh, people like me and Texas and others who are saying, wait a second, what you did is just unlawful. You can't just ignore the Mineral Leasing Act. You just can't ignore what Congress passed uh, decades ago. So, I think that reality sets in, so it's so early in this administration that you know it is necessary to take a stand and say, "No, we're not going to let you kill us in the West um and no, it's not lawful, so we are going to go to court. But you know reality sets in and and as soon as they start telling Americans they can't drive their car or heat their home, I mean that's not a recipe for winning in twenty twenty two
1: as predictable as rain, right um Senator Tester. Uh, came out yesterday and harumph that you know he was opposed to what they had done on Keystone. Um, it you know and it echoed it echoed the chamber and API right like we thought you were lying. You know we thought you were a liar and it turns out no you're only you're only destructive. You're not a liar. Um, what do you make a Tester? You know I, I, I he is he is a he is a guy whose career I have watched with some interest. So I'd, I'd be interested in your thoughts.
2: Well, I'm not really sure to, what to do yet with the so-called moderate senators yeah. cinema tester hickenlooper mansion i mean when push comes to shove can they really vote for any of this or will the pressure from their party overwhelm their moderate sensibilities i don't know yet i don't think any of us really know yet so i would think it's going to be possible to pick off at least one of those senators on any given issue, but, you know, they're going to get so much pressure from the left. So, you know, I think that's the big question.
0: Yeah. We have to do, we have to make sure that there's countervailing pressure too, right? I mean, we've got to sort of pick and choose our.
1: It was interesting, right? That it was interesting that Senator Tester um, hit Keystone, but not the um, pause in drilling permits nor the um, leasing ban, right? It, it, It it was a very surgical strike on his part and I get the feeling it's a little preview of what these guys are going to do. They're going to pick certain things to be opposed to. They're not going to oppose the $1.9 trillion. That's like a religious item, but you know what they are going to oppose? They're not going to want to do reconciliation on climate and infrastructure. They're going to push back on that.
0: And then they'll also probably pick and choose, right? Like, yeah, you yeah, take yeah. this thing that you fight, yeah, in, yeah, yeah. you take this that. thing that you fight, and we'll just kind of pretend that we're upset, but then at the end of the day, you vote for this, I vote for that. Dude. There'll be a lot of that going on, too. But One of the things I wanted to get into is, and, and a very smart, wise person coined this phrase, and I'll be using it in my speech later, um, is for the industry, uh, and, and for you, Kathleen, me, and others who work with, with these folks, there's a lot of panic going on, right? Like wait a minute, this is real and what are we gonna do here? and And I think it's important as you as you sort of mentioned a little bit is to sort of help them sort out what is headline risk versus actual risk. Um, and, and you mentioned you know there's a very narrow majority there there are laws in place that if they violate our flaunt, we will file lawsuits and adjudicate, there's a Supreme Court that is more friendly towards encouraging the regulatory state to actually follow the law, um, So we and there's a midterm coming up. So what, in, in your opinion, do you see in all of this, this flurry of activity as more headline risk versus actual risk? And I've got a couple of, of, of thoughts about that as well, but I want to hear from you.
2: Yeah, that's a great question, and it's something I've been talking to investor groups about uh, this last week as well. And that is, again, we've been through this cycle, right? We've been at the start of the Obama administration when oil and gas was roadkill in the rearview mirror, right? We were supposed to be done by ten years from the start of the Obama administration, and wind and and wind and solar were going to take over, right? So we were just roadkill, but obviously that didn't happen because reality sets in but because we've been through this cycle before and set aside the fact that the rhetoric is more vitriolic right now, but we know how to manage this regulatory risk. It involves litigating where necessary. It involves active participation in the regulatory cycle, the rulemaking, and it involves public outreach. So making the costs of their policies known publicly And it requires outreach to Congress. And we've seen Congress already pushing back. Letters have gone to the Interior Secretary from moderate Democrats as well as Republicans saying these executive orders, particularly on the leasing ban, are not good for the country. So there are many levers that we can use to push back on what's coming out of the administration. We know how to do it. We did it during the Obama years. We survived the Obama years, and we actually became stronger because of it.
0: So, you know, I've heard from some of you, I would guess some of your members as well. And, and one of the things that they are worried about or, or have seen already is the sort of return to the battle days of selective of, of selectivity in terms of the bureaucrats. Right. Like these orders are sort of vague. Uh, we don't really know what they, you know, ultimately will will translate into. But in the interim, uh, your BLM offices, the you know the offices that you know the federal offices that interact with with the industry, certain of them who are more favorable to production say, well, I interpret this as you can get you can continue to do all these things, just you can't get a new lease. And others are saying, I interpret this as I ain't re- I ain't approving diddly unless the secretary of interior or his designee calls me up and tells me to, 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 to approve it. Are you hearing that as uh, on the ground?
2: BLM is notorious for being inconsistent from field office, from field to field office and from state to state. So that's pretty much par for the course, uh, different interpretations. And it does sometimes come down to personnel in the field office and what they choose to do or not, where their proclivity lies. Are they pro development or are they, you know, completely against anything. So there's always that inconsistency in BLM. That's why the political will coming down from the top really matters. When Trump said, I've got an energy dominance agenda, that was heard all the way down to the field offices. When President Biden says, I want to ban leasing, that is interpreted as not just banning new leases, but it's interpreted as, hey, you know what? I don't need to worry about rushing any permit through, I'm going to think of new things, new requirements to add on to this permit, because I don't want to stick my neck out and approve too many permits and get the attention from D.C. So that political direction from the top really does matter, especially in a bureaucracy where, I mean, inherent to a bureaucracy is the ability to hold up things for you know, a thousand different reasons. No matter what happens, um, if we're successful in getting rid of this leasing ban in court, we are going to see that death by a thousand cuts from the field offices. We're going to see new regulation. They have so many levers to tie up federal leasing and permitting in general, that they almost really don't need some kind of grand pronouncement on a leasing ban. Now, they needed that for political reasons. They needed to placate the environmental left, but they've got so many levers. And if we have time to discuss it, I would like to discuss kind of the meat of this leasing ban.
0: Yeah, please do.
2: It was messaged as a temporary pause on leasing while the administration reviews Uh, the oil and natural gas program. What that really means is a full-scale programmatic environmental impact statement, similar to what they tried to do with the coal industry during the Obama years. And that EIS or environmental impact statement will take years to complete because looking at all the impacts of climate change in an EIS I mean, the government hasn't done an oil and gas EIS in under three, four, five, sometimes 10 years in, in probably decades. So this one being so comprehensive means it's really a leasing ban for the entire first term of the Biden administration. And they also are gonna throw permitting in there. It's eventually going to come to a ban or curtailment on not just leasing, but permitting as well. That is the ultimate goal. It's the holy grail of the environmental movement. They want to study it to death and then come up with the reason to say, oh, wait, federal onshore and offshore oil and natural gas is bad for the environment because it contributes to climate change. That's the ultimate goal.
0: Yeah, and and so politically, it may help the, the, the environmental... Justice Warriors and the the Hall of Justice and all that. But it really has tremendous impacts on the ground. And you know, you talk about red states versus blue states. Well, there's a blue state sort of mixed in here, New Mexico. And it really hammers one of the poorest states in the country. The poorest.
1: New Mexico, poorest.
0: And it's ironic that they've tapped a New Mexican legislator to run the department. What does this Due to the production in New Mexico I, I know that the Permian is geographically located in both Texas and New Mexico, but there's a difference in in the the designation of the lands there so can you talk a little bit about that
2: yeah and it has to do with an artificial political boundary right in Texas you hardly have any public lands in New Mexico almost all the production in the Permian is on federal lands or all, you know, adjacent to federal lands, which means it all gets sucked into the federal process. Trust me, if we could, we would not develop on federal lands here in the West. We would stay off federal lands We because they just have so much more cost and delay because of all the additional red tape. But the nature of the West is such that you have federal lands intermixed with private lands, tribal lands, Indian Alati lands, state lands, it is almost impossible to operate in the West and to produce oil and natural gas without touching some federal lands or subsurface minerals. And so in the Permian, um, the vast majority of that production is federal. And so it, you know, this, this order absolutely impacts New Mexico. And that is the interesting political question how much is the governor going to push back on what her party is doing? When a third of her budget comes from oil and natural gas, can she really afford to sit idly by? That is, besides those moderate senators we talked about, that's really the question of how much pushback comes from the governor of New Mexico. We're not gonna get pushback from the governor of Colorado. Colorado governors haven't cared about public lands development because it just impacts the West Slope of Colorado, and they just have not displayed any interest in that. They they're so focused on the Denver-Boulder metropolitan area.
0: I was gonna say, no votes out in the West Slope, and so far, I've been underwhelmed by her response. Um, honestly, it's been sort of a wishy-washy kind of well. You know, we got to balance all this stuff, but I mean, I'm. You saw that the um, the Ute U-tri- the tribe. Complained immediately, uh, almost not quite as fast as your response, but they were pretty pretty quick on the draw as well. And then, you know, before the new cycle ended, they exempted uh, tribal lands from all this stuff. You know, we talked a little, Mike and I, about you know how they're going to manage this issue, and and it, I, I can't I can't see them exempting a state, right? Because then that just sets up the whole you know domino effect, but. I was speculating that they're going to come up with magical reasons why they're going to allow permits in selective areas um, to sort of ease the pressure a little bit. Um, Already in Alaska, they just did. Uh, They just issued or or let a bunch of permits through. So this is going to be this, again, back to that selective, um, you know, selective in terms of how they're going to, uh, you know, administer this thing. Um, I don't know what's your take on that.
2: Uh, that's another key to how we fight back on this. When you do that selective implementation, that gives us more grounds from for arbitrary and capricious behavior and that strengthens our lawsuit in court. We do not support any carve out for any particular state at all. That's, you know, that that's not typical or that's not the right kind of jurisprudence for the United States in general. We treat state, we should treat states the same, no matter what their political uh, makeup may happen to be. So, um, and God bless the U Tribe. You know, by coming out vocally right away, they pointed out an obvious fact that the Interior Department should not have to be reminded of. And that is that the Interior Secretary manages tribal lands for the benefit of the tribe, not for the benefit of environmentalists or for the American people at large or some other interest, but for the fiduciary benefit of that tribe. So God bless them for doing that. That gave them that warning that when the executive order was signed that it it did make that statement, but they shouldn't have needed that reminder.
1: I got to be honest with you. I'm hugely impressed by the Interior Department. You know, the Utes came up and said, "Uh uh-uh, and boom. Like, I think on Friday, they put out a statement. (laughs) On a Monday, everything was back to normal. You know, you compare that, and I love Dave Bernhardt. Dave Bernhardt's a great human being. Um, But compare that to— This is the
0: part of the show where I'm like, (laughs) <laughs> compares the, this the, is the part of the shore speed and the stealth like maneuvering of the this administration this is the part of the show Mike the turtle like approach to
1: this is to the, to the part of the show Mike wishes he were a democrat <laughs> because they actually get stuff done um compare that to the department of interior under under our um our good friend right um the navajo generating station interior was like a 21% owner in that thing and and you want to talk about um you know Holding some in interest for a tribe um, and interior couldn't get out of its own way to to do something about that, and so the generating station went away right now that was egged on by our good friends from St. Louis and a bunch of other people but long story short is um, I get the feeling if, if that had happened under the Biden administration, the Navajo generating Station would still exist
0: even though it's a coal plant
1: the tribes I don't want to. I don't want to take your time, Kathleen. Long story short, tribes understand the weak spot in 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 these um, in these people's um, considerations, deliberations is um, environmental justice, right? Uh, yeah, you know, it, it, environmental
0: it, justice when it's a pipeline through you know it, an it, area adjacent to an Indian tribe, but it, it wasn't. It, I, I didn't see any it, it, environmental it, justice warriors going down to NGS and and.
1: And, it doesn't matter. You if, know, if, protesting
0: if, if the closing of that. It, it does, plant. It, it's it, selective.
1: It doesn't matter. If the tribe had said, I want to keep it to, in the Biden administration, they would have kept it because the Biden administration, are, they're handcuffed by um, the racial equity stuff, environmental justice, your tribe,
0: same. Do you think that uh, oil and gas independents are going to partner with indigenous tribes to I don't do, know, things. Do, do things Do things? Yeah. as a result of this? Blanket exemption or whatever
2: operators and the industry in general absolutely works with the tribes. I mean they're a major stakeholder, they're a major government that we need to deal with um, because there's quite a bit of development on tribal lands. The main energy tribes of the three affiliated up in North Dakota, the Utes in Utah, the Navajos in New Mexico, the southern Utes in Colorado, these energy tribes understand that, uh, the importance of balanced oil and natural gas development, and they want to move forward with development because that's, that's how they keep their people out of poverty or lift them out of poverty.
1: Amen. Us too. Well, um, what else you got going on? Wait a minute. I got questions. I'm sorry. I got, I got, I got questions. Am Fire I, am away.
0: I, the show is the floor is yours sir.
1: Thanks. I got three questions. One <laughs> let's let's think about them as Mike's lightning round. All right.
0: Um lightning round.
1: The Biden guys, um the Biden administration set a goal hmm. of 30% preservation of 30% of federal land and 30% of federal waters, I think. I'm not sure what the federal waters thing is. Keep in mind the federal government owns um somewhere in the neighborhood of 34 35% of all land, right? So they're already at their goal. Um I look at this whole process as a as a example of why we need to do something about federal land ownership in, in the long term. Thoughts? Comments?
2: That issue is predicated on a misunderstanding throughout the country, mostly on the coasts of what federal lands are.
1: Yeah.
2: I always kind of think that people from the East and West Coast need to fly into Denver and then drive to Jackson Hole through Wyoming so they get an understanding of the scale and expanse of federal working landscapes. Yeah. So only by understanding that in the West, we have lands that just never were converted to private ownership that, you know, they don't want to go hike through the, you know, sagebrush step of of Wyoming in the middle of the state. They want to go to Yosemite and Yellowstone yeah. and wilderness areas, and those are already protected. Yeah. But the seven hundred million acres of federal lands, there are plenty of working landscapes that are appropriate for ranching, mining, timber, etc. And people don't really understand that. Not
0: only appropriate, but actually part of the charter, right? And 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 I think we've we've had this problem. Sorry, it's supposed to be a lightning round, but... You, you he was going to say you're slowing
1: my lightning round down, <laughs> yeah. Tom.
0: we have I mean, we've had these opportunities to make the case for why we should start moving some of these lands out of the federal estate. And we run into roadblocks even among Republicans, even among these hunter groups and these conservation groups, right? Because they ultimately don't want to part with, uh, you know, the ability to sort of, you know...
1: Kill anything. Kill stuff, run around and,
0: um, you know, for free.
1: Let me just say one thing about what you've said. Um, I agree with all of it, um, except as a as a as a New York City native, nobody out in America has any clue how big an acre is. Not one single seven hundred million acres. I guarantee. I've sat in focus groups and people are like, is that a lot? I'm like, well, you know, Minnesota's sixty million acres, right? We never, we never, we never. Part of the reason why we're not successful on, on this federal lands question is because we never call, we never put BLM in the spotlight, right? Yeah. We never put BLM in the spotlight. Like, you know, the federal government doesn't do a lot of things well. What leads you to believe they're going to be a good landlord?
0: Yeah. Well, we also and,
1: and then we we're pitch, we're preaching to a bunch of people who have, like me, who have no earthly idea how big an acre is. We
0: yeah. we also do people also don't understand how little production is taking place on federal lands.
1: Yeah. This is the worst uh, lightning round ever, by the way. Okay, I just want to so, say that. All uh, right, fair enough. This is a, so. Wait a minute, I'm not done yet. Oh, Are you done? You got more. I was a just
0: going to close with. Go ahead. In this lightning round, I was going to close with. I we've done, surveys, we've done surveys where we've asked people how much production is happening on federal lands, and we haven't done it in a while. But the last round we did, when you ask someone who's from a non-energy developing state, the answer was in third in the thirty to fifty percent range. Yeah, the and fifth, the, the, when you ask them in energy-producing states, it was closer to reality, but still way off in the twenty to thirty percent range. Yeah. We're sitting at around what, if you include the offshore, like two,
1: two percent oiling gas, two percent of the land, two percent of the land. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That that's it is so. It, it's
0: it, there's just this lack of understanding of what's going on on federal lands. Two so,
1: more, two more questions on this incredibly. Glacial lightning round. Um, 20, 2025. Um, are we going to, is the United States going to be um, consuming more or less oil and gas? 2025? Yeah.
2: More, I would guess, as population increases. Certainly, the, the world is projected to increase use of consumption of oil and natural gas out to 2050.
1: Right. Tom?
0: I, this is your roundabout pal. I'm asking
1: I, you, more or less.
0: Oh, I think more. More.
1: Um, carbon dioxide emissions in 2025, higher or lower than I, right now in the United States? Lower. Yeah,
0: Tom. We're
2: gonna keep. Sorry. We're keeping on increasing natural gas electricity generation, and so that will continue to decrease our emissions.
0: I'm gonna say higher. Give me the give me the
1: two sentences why. Well.
0: I think that we've gotten a lot of this, a lot of the reduction through the switching already. We picked the low-hanging fruit. And I think that if you're counting these COVID years, uh, I think they're skewing the average down.
1: Correct answer is lower, right? 10-year averages, we've been reducing about 1.1% a year for 10 years, right over the rolling 10. My guess is that's going to keep going. And the oil and gas is the right answer, right? More. We've been using more of that for 10 years too. Sorry. Sorry. Anyway, that's my lightning round. I just wanted to get you know have an expert. I never have. I never have experts. I want <laughs> right, to talk so to them.
0: Right? We're in the prediction uh, game. Twenty twenty. We're in the prediction two, game. Okay. Twenty twenty two midterms. Oh, yeah. It's, come on, man. It's so early. <laughs> uh, we we can do this. No, we, no, no. We'll let's... do a baseline now, and when she comes back, we'll we'll read. She's not coming back after this. Like this. What are you out of your mind? Twenty twenty two midterms. Did the Republicans take the House and Senate?
2: Let me circle
0: back with you on that. <laughs> Let me circle back. See what you did there. That was a Jensic okay.
2: idea. Right. Okay, Jen. Good work. Thanks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, the floor is yours. Anything you want no, wait to say? No. I, I, yeah, I got one I more. I thought you were
1: done. I got one more. All well, right, I didn't realize go. you're going to throw the floor open. Okay. All right. Anything you want to say? But but um, as part of what you want to say, you need to, you need to give us a Super Bowl prediction.
2: Oh. You're talking to the wrong person. I'm a hockey fan. Sorry.
1: It, it, uh, okay, who's going to win the Stanley Cup this year?
2: The Avalanche, Colorado.
1: Uh, okay, who's who's really down. going to win? Who's really going to win the hockey, the Stanley Cup this year?
2: The Colorado Avalanche, are really? Oh,
1: for goodness' sake!
0: Kathleen and I share the Rangers. Week. We were both born in Buffalo.
1: The oh, Rangers
2: yeah. don't have a shot at it at all.
1: What are you talking about? They won their second game just the other day. They're like two and six. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we have the same we, we have the sabers that we share. Too. I was going to
1: say, are you supposed to say the saves instead of the instead of the lanch?
2: I am always based in reality.
0: Uh- <laughs> 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 All right. Well, we can end there, or you can. You can. The floor is yours. What What would you like to come out of this with? Other than you'll probably never come on this podcast again.
2: <laughs> Actually, it's been a pleasure. Anytime. time although I reserve the right to circle back on any particular issue that I choose. Um, I would say that we're in the process right now of trying to make it painful for the administration on this leasing ban. So getting the word out on the cost in terms of jobs and a loss to state revenue would be really great. Um, The Wyoming has come out with a study that shows the cost and it is the only study I know of that allows you to look at just the leasing ban that was announced. So that is a helpful study for showing the actual impact of this. And because of all of the spillover effects, even though the enviros are spinning this as, oh, it's only a ban on new leases, uh, this ban quickly affects existing leases, existing permits. And that's why the study found a thirty three and a half billion dollar hit to GDP by the end of the Biden administration and fifty eight thousand six hundred jobs annually lost. So your help getting the word out on those costs and the pain that will ensue is very helpful. Well,
0: we're going to put that in the show notes and uh, I I wouldn't worry too much about those jobs because. John Kerry has enlightened us that, you know, they can just spin windmills and mow the grass Joe, around the solar panels. Joe
1: Biden said, out, if you can so. shovel coal into a furnace, you can code, you can, code. You can learn yeah. to code. So um, they've got the answers. Where, where do people go to find your work, Kathleen?
2: So we are at westernenergyalliance.org or at Western Energy One on Twitter. And uh, appreciate the time today.
0: You You You, bet you will be, there's a lot. This is a target rich environment. I'm sure you'll be back one, and I'm sure we'll be working very closely together over the next couple of you, years. So. You're 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 killing it. You really are.
2: Thanks. I appreciate it.
0: You bet. Have Bye. a good one. Thanks for getting up early. <laughs>
2: Take care. Ladies and gentlemen,
0: Kathleen Sagama from the Western Energy Alliance, telling it like it is. All right, much appreciated. All right, we need uh, I need to go I gotta give a speech here in like 15 minutes. So well, I thought it was um, your 1230. I know, but I gotta. They gotta do the testing and the the, the zoom checks and everything else. What else so. is on
1: your list of things to accomplish today? Yeah. Here at this thing, and this exactly. thing, I mean.
0: Exactly. Uh, what else do we got? What else you want to bring up, man? Um. By the way, you're right. She's she's great.
1: Yeah, man. She's she's, she's a star.
0: A, she's going to be one of the folks that sort of when you look back on all this, say, "Well, she helped us get our footing."
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I wanted to I wanted to talk about the the Marjorie Taylor Greene thing and we um, did that we did and um, the only other um, thing I wanted to hit was the Joe Manchin deciding that one point nine trillion was in fact the right number and you know he's prepared to roll over and play dead as we knew he would and of course Prime Minister Klein is we now know something we didn't know a couple of weeks ago right we know who the actual um, I don't want to say the actual president is but we know who the actual person. Um, to go see in the White House, yeah.
0: yeah. Or Gina McCarthy, because I understand the autos came and on the day of the EPA administrator nominees hearing, his confirmation hearing, Gina McCarthy got a visit from the auto manufacturers, yeah, to talk about what are our next steps in the uh, in the process of of turning over their operations to the federal government, foreshadowing perhaps
1: it um we're gonna we're gonna see how this whole thing goes right. We got a survey coming out of the field that's gonna be illuminative of this situation, and I'm not sure it's gonna be good for the for the auto guys. I'm not sure how they're gonna square this circle with their actual customers, you know the people who lay out thirty thousand bucks to buy these cars
0: thirty four thousand I think is new the new average is it? and you know for those who did not uh do not follow this nearly as closely as we have g m announced their aspirational goal. Of, of producing 100% electric vehicles for the light-duty fleet by 2035 and also becoming net-zero by some some other date, 2050, I something think. along yeah. those lines.
1: Yeah, the funny thing about that statement was right at the bottom, the last paragraph from the Vice President of Sustainability um, at GM, Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of work for us to do and a lot of work for governments to do. Yes. I'm like, why in the world would there be any work for governments right. to do? You just made an announcement about your fleet you know i mean it it's like 711 announcing they're going to have you know bring back cherry slurpees and then announce hey, a lot of work <laughs> for us to do, a lot of work for governments to do as
0: long as the government you know well, you
1: boys selling a product or not yeah them. it 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 was both telling ridiculous and bad
0: yeah well i our approach was was that they they're clearly betting the company on evs so they must see something in the marketplace <laughs> they must see customer preference yeah. for electric vehicles by 2035. As as you know, so they want to be the market setter here. Um, why would shareholders, institutional investors, competitors, consumers, government, why would they continue to subsidize this stuff if the largest? Auto manufacturing in the United States is basically making a bet that this is how they're going to continue to, to maintain their dominance.
1: Like I said, it's like 7 Eleven announcing they're bringing back the cherry Slurpee. You're like, great, good on you. I hope it goes well for you. What it has to do with me, I have no earthly that idea.
0: Was facetious, by the way. And if I, I were I know. If I were Ford.
1: If I were taller.
0: If I were Ford or somebody else. I troll them. I would have so much fun with this, but I'm yeah. not sure they're equipped to do that, to be honest with well, you. Like, you right know. now, this is a chance for them to say, we look forward to making cars that Americans want to buy. Yeah. And if that includes electric vehicles, wonderful...
1: You know, right? I mean, it's
0: crazy, and it's, they might all fall in line and let GM continue to to yeah, do- we, dominate we,
1: because you, you know we talked about this a month ago or two months ago because we saw it two months ago, right? GM is is making a bet, the company a uh, bet here, right? And Ford is Ford is yeah, we got some EV models if you want those things, and then of course that that horrible Frankenstein thing they're calling a Mustang, right, which is an SUV, an electric vehicle SUV that they they put a badge on, which makes me want to burn my mustangs to the ground um but they at least you know they got models, but they also got gas models it it ninety eight percent of sales in the united states gas um ninety four percent of sales in europe are gas you know, that this thing is it's pure fancy
0: how on earth is it's pure how theosal. on earth is peloton uh valued higher than ford?
1: They're selling more stuff. I don't know.
0: I I have to
1: be honest with you. One thing that always made me uncomfortable about the Trump administration was everybody thought that the stock market was some sort of um, legitimate indicator of what was going on out in the real world. And you and I both know.
0: Well, I think that was was from the top.
1: Yeah, of course. But you and I both know the stock market is – Yeah. yeah, A bit of of an idiosyncratic operation. It's a
0: little bit out of our lane, but, you know, this GameStop AMC. I don't think it's out of
1: our lane at all. It's a
0: perfect example of it, right? And then all of a sudden everyone's all like, oh my God, how dare these pasty white people in their basements go after the hedge funds? Oh, this is horrible. The 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 rules are the, the whole world
1: is 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 shaking. I think yeah. I, I think that was a bunch of overreaction, right? I mean, the market has done what it does, right? It punished. It has punished people who own GameStop stock. Shorts, right? It well, at first they punish the shorts, and then the market subsequently has punished the the GameStop guys, right? It's down like two hundred percent. The GameStop or Stop right. guys,
0: as I understand it, aren't over. I mean, they're not selling no they don't well somebody's selling cuz it's falling right, right. When, you know it's it's but the point is is that they were they're taking they're playing with the stimulus money yeah basically it, it is is they're prepared to take these losses to send this message and it's yeah i i am fascinated by it's fine i mean,
1: it, I, fine. It, fine. I, mean I, I again you know market is all about psychology um you know and truthfully and this circle back to gm for a second right GM um speaking privately and candidly will tell you part of that announcement was about bumping up their stock price.
0: Yep. And they did bump, take a little bit of a sure. bump. But not a lot. Of course
1: not. And in fact,
0: we were could, talking about the night before, what is the market gonna look like the next day? And quite honestly, I think they I think it was a wildly underwhelming response.
1: You know, it was a wildly underwhelming response. The only people so, you know, to go from markets to um media. Um No, with the exception of the New York Times, who is now just you know that just a complete rag um, sheet for the environmentalists in this space, right? Um, With the exception of the New York Times, nobody ran it. New York Times ran a page one. Everybody else admitted it. Thing, right? It's like Uh, everybody else. But it tells you market response, media response. No serious people took it seriously, right? And GM is now sitting out there with the announcement.
0: Yeah, and now they're hoping and begging that the rest of the industry falls in line because they're way out on a limb on this stuff now. So,
1: I, you know, we're we're this this administration is going to be able to do some some damage, but they're not going to be able to do a limitless amount of damage in the car in the car business.
0: In other news, I thought you'd appreciate this: Senators Mike Lee and Chuck Grassley reintroduce an amendment to the United States Constitution that would require the federal government to balance its budget each year. It's simple math. The federal government should not be spending more money than it brings in outside of war or a national crisis, Grassley said. Families, farmers, and businesses across my home state of Iowa and across the country make difficult decisions every day to balance the books. It's the responsible thing to do. And almost every other state, every state has adopted some form of balanced budget requirements past time that the federal government follows suit.
1: Brother. So, yeah. Senator Grassley has been a senator for, what, 400 years now? Since <laughs> I think
0: he started in, he was in the last, Lincoln, he was Lincoln one of, administration. He was
1: one of the last Roman senators and was one of the first American senators. <laughs> it, uh, I would like – you know what? You know what I'm going to do this afternoon? I'm going to sit down and calculate – how much deficit spending Senator Grassley has voted for in the, in his career? I'm willing to bet you he has personally voted for at least half the, fe- the federal debt, at least half the federal debt.
0: Um, well, are you including all the billions in subsidies that he has?
1: No, uh, I'm not even going you know, no, to count. I'm just going. No, 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 no. I'm happy to leave. I'm happy to leave those out. I just want to know how many on how many appropriations votes has he voted to spend more than the federal government takes in in taxes? It, and who's the other one? Mike Lee? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the left complains about this, and I have to be honest with you. They're totally right. This is the kind of um, – well, I was going to use a barnyard word. This is the kind of stuff that the Republicans do when they're in a the minority. All of a sudden, they discover oh, – what? There's deficit spending going yeah.
0: on? Well, I'm shocked you say. it's shocked it's... that there's gambling going on. <laughs> it... <laughs> Come on. I just thought it was funny that the co-author was Chuck Grassley. Of course, <laughs> <laughs> out of anyone they could have picked, <laughs> you know what? Chuck Grassley.
1: We need a fresh face on this. Let's yeah. get Grassley. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, all
0: right. So AOC wasn't in the Capitol during her near-death experience. She
1: was in the Cannon Office Building.
0: Yes. Which, and, which was and breached the by approximately didn't nobody. Exist. Uh, yeah.
1: I. I. I this whole thing is so unfortunate.
0: She is. Uh, you know. I know you got. I know you got this. Thing for AOC, but man, she's she's it, she's it, dangerous. It's
1: becoming it's becoming a little bit erratic, right? Yeah, um, you know. I and when and when I when that first coughed up, I was like, I wonder if she was in the Capitol for some reason, and then it turned out no. Yeah, but
0: the thing is, is that it's like, oh, and then oh, and all her fans are like, you people, uh, you know, are you, know, you think that the Capitol is just the dome? It's the whole complex, and then that story unravels because. It was an officer, and then that story unravels because her and her staffer, legislative director, felt uncomfortable because the officer was hostile, and yeah. they didn't know whether he. I think it was a he was trying to help them.
1: Whoa, man! Let's, I mean, uh, let's assume it was a he. It it whoa. It, yeah, the idea that I'm I. The fact pattern here seems to be a little shaky. How about if we say it that way? And the idea that I'm going to get this, is what bothers me personally, the idea that someone's going to lecture me about what the Capitol is and what it isn't yes. and what the Cap, nobody, and I mean nobody when they say the Capitol means the Cannon Office Building. They mean the Cannon yeah, House right. Office Building. Um, I, I, can I be honest?
0: Well, you should always be honest.
1: I kind of worry about her. I mean, these things are these things are starting to edge off into, um, into into. But she got
0: her six and a half million views on TikTok or whatever during her yeah. know, retelling of the story. So yeah, I, I, damage I, done, man. I mean, that's the story because the media covered it up, and no one is bothering to, to call what I, it is. I so. get the
1: I get the I get a bad feeling about the trajectory that this is on.
0: So another, um, I saw this tweet uh, a guy named Mark. Campanali and I did he was just retweeting. Uh he's got this. Didn't he used to be general manager for the Dodgers? <laughs> no, no, he's <laughs> running some some joint called Carbon Tracker. Cole Carpet? I think he's pulling this from a blue. Uh, okay. Pulling this from a Bloomberg article. So I'll put that article in the notes. Cole is on track to disappear from the U.S. power grid by 20. 20- 33. 2033. I think that, was a Morgan, Morgan Stanley. Stanley that was a Morgan Stanley report, yeah. The fossil fuel will be supplanted largely by renewables, which will supply 39% of U.S. electricity in 2030 and 55 in 2035. Yeah. So-
1: It's possible.
0: I'm going to Interesting. Be, I'm going to be 50 pounds lighter in 2012. Yeah. I'm getting so tired of this 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 garbage of predicting all this stuff. And we got articles from the Wall Street Journal in like the 80s saying it would be 20% by 2000, 25% by 2010. Yeah. Uh, this this is just you know the it's silly 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 business you know
1: the the i don't know who in morgan stanley wrote that um the analysis i'll put the analysis in quotes the interesting thing for me would be to go back and look if any morgan stanley customers sold on the basis of that right because i bet you they didn't the other thing that happened that's interesting was that um the national renewable energy laboratory released a report last week on um electrification and how much it would cost and how complicated it would be uh, by 2050. The interesting thing is they didn't solve it for 2050. By 2050, all they had was a high electrification scenario, which as a practical matter means that you know I think, I think they define that as like 60% electrification by, by 2050, right? They didn't have a net zero answer, they didn't have any of that other stuff, but it was consistent with what everyone else said. We're going to need double generation, a significant chunk of that's going to have to be gas to keep the price down. We're going to need the double transmission or maybe triple transmission. And this is all supposed to happen in the next um 20 years, right? A machine transmission now. That took us um 75 years to build. 50 years let's just be kind of say it quick, right? 50 years to build and 50 years to rebuild. We're going to double it in 15 years. Of course, um with all the kind of environmental stuff. I heard that you know, I didn't read that Morgan thing, but I I heard about it and I thought, yeah, maybe coal might might go out of the stack by 2033. But it's unlikely to be replaced by wind and solar. It's going to be replaced by gas, right? Um, and that's just that. And, and nobody seems to get that.
0: <sighs> it's just it's just this this game that is being played with with this whole idea of an energy trans transition. And you know, the Davos crowd is doing their virtual stuff right now, <laughs> and it's it's all like it's and all this garbage. It's all build back better. I, Build back better is sustainable uh with the transition is here. It's 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 coming. It's, it's here. here. Yeah. So I did
1: so I did so I did a class at the Louisiana State University um last our week. Friend David. Yes, our friend David. Um and um you know, I was I was brilliant and controversial. Um I was brilliant and controversial um as always. Um um, but, um, but one of the things I had to look up was our favorite number, right? Uh, the, the fossil fuel, um, capacity, share of our total generation, total energy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I only went back to 95 cause I don't want to hurt the kids feelings. You know, 1995, it was 86%. Last year it was 84%. Globally? Like yeah. Mm. It, it. I thought it was around 80. No, a little north of that. Okay. So it, it, you know, at a certain point you're just like. Uh okay. The other thing that was interesting that I came across, right? A fact that I came across since the Kyoto Protocol was signed, carbon dioxide emissions have increased fifty percent on the planet. You know. And truthfully, the only people who have been fairly steady um downward for the last fifteen years have been both the EU and the Americans. Everybody else has been a steady increase. And of last, year, I mean, last year last year last year it went up like two and a half percent, right? And that's about the rate it's been going at for twenty years.
0: So we're we're You know, fretting our, you know, twiddling our thumbs and fretting over this and fretting over that, and and in the meantime, things are happening the way that they're supposed to happen. Developed countries are being more efficient. Amen. They're transitioning to cleaner alternatives. At the same time, they're not sacrificing the benefits. Developing countries are going are are building up.
1: Yeah. As you get richer, you get cleaner. Do as you get as you get richer, you get cleaner. It's as simple as that. That's why I hung on to that 1.1 percent rolling, you know, each year over 10-year average because what it shows you is it doesn't matter who's in charge in America, right? You know, the economy is driving emissions reductions, not um, government, right? People are getting more and more efficient.
0: Government jump-started it a little bit with mats and some other stuff. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But for the most part, you know, it... it,
0: But, you know, if A
1: free market's going to search out efficiencies. Right.
0: And if this were legitimately... A crisis, an existential threat. First of all, I want to get this on the record. If this is an existential threat, <sighs> wow, we're way underreacting, man. Then Biden should declare a climate. Oh emergency. hell yeah, absolutely. And he should basically stop everything from happening in this country. Um, but set that aside. If if this is indeed an issue about reducing emissions, then we shouldn't be wasting our time with all this wind and solar business. We should be working overtime to just basically completely turn it over to natural gas in the short run if we were, if we were centrally planning the economy. Uh, okay. I got to run. I got to give a speech. Uh, two things. One. One. Dustin Pedroia is retiring after 14 years. I
1: saw that. It's, it's time. He's pretty banged up. He's a uh, he's a small man playing a bigger man's game.
0: He is, uh, and speaking of which, one of his quotes: people always ask me if I wish I were bigger. I tell them no. I always wanted to be a miniature badass. <laughs> <laughs> So look, we hate the Red Sox, but you can't hate. We, we've Dustin had an on, ongoing conversation about wishing we had a Dustin Pedroia on the New York Yankees. He just, he's just—he's just so—he's that guy, man. And I'm giving a shout out to my buddy Mark Dion for that. So, and and that's the only time I'll I'll be complimentary of a Boston Red Sox, probably. Mark
1: Dion's a communist.
0: Hey, easy. Uh, all right. Lastly, coming out of here, um, I want to play the clip of the day. You ready? Yes. Got anything else before we go? No finals. Nope. All right, guys. Uh, Here it is. Ready?
2: On that issue, pollution, I understand that you came here with a private jet. Uh, Is that an environmental way to travel? If you offset your carbon,
0: it's the only choice for somebody like me who is traveling the world to win this battle. Uh, I negotiated the Paris Accords uh,
2: for the United States. I've been involved in this fight for years. I negotiated with President Xi to bring President Xi to the table so we could get Paris. And uh, I believe
0: the time it takes me to get somewhere, I can't sail across the ocean. I have to fly to meet with people and get things done. But what I'm doing almost full time is working to win the battle of climate change. And in the end, uh, if I offset and contribute my life to do this, uh, I'm not going to be put on the defensive. God. That was only one of the two ridiculous things that he has said.
1: I bet you. I bet you are going to be put on the defensive, <laughs> he's <laughs> Secretary. He's probably going
0: to wish he could take that one back. It,
1: he sounds. He sounds not good. Uh, I didn't recognize the voice at first. He's
0: the gift that keeps on giving. He I, really is. He's a Unfortunately, boy. unfortunately for the American people, uh, we're we're stuck with him for at least a couple of years, Mister Ambassador. All right, that's it. This is. Uh, Unregulated. We are out of here. Thank you, Kathleen Sagama. Thank you to the producers, um, and uh, we'll see you in a week. Thank you to everybody who gives us content. Just like, keep, it <laughs> keep it coming.
2: Keep it coming. Namaste.